for this morning we will continue the Sunday school class which Pastor Eric began last time that he taught on the attributes of God. He looked at, who can tell me what he looked at last time? Which attribute did he consider? The holiness of God. Yes, so he considered the holiness of God. Now today, I want us to consider a different one, a different attribute, and I would say an attribute that makes God distinct from everything in creation, whether angels or devils, whether human beings or sea creatures. This one attribute, and it's one of those attributes which we would call the incommunicable attributes of God, this attribute of God cannot be communicated to anything in creation. In other words, it cannot be given to anything in creation. And before we go on, let us let me make help you understand this distinction between communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. What, what does it mean to communicate? Let's first understand what that communicable or incommunicable means. What does it mean to communicate? To share, to share something. Eh? So when we talk about communicable diseases, we are talking about diseases that can be transmitted from one person to another. Now when we talk about the communicable attributes of God, we talk about those attributes of God which can be communicated to his creation. Now, holiness is a communicable attribute, which is to say that God, the reason why we are holy is because God communicates that attribute to us. He communicates the attribute of holiness to us by what way? By the law of God written upon the heart. The law of God that was written upon Adam's heart and which is communicated to all his posterity that is what that is the holiness of God communicated to us we could say also in a sense that the word of God given to us communicates the holiness of God and when the saints uh, read the word of God they have that holiness communicated to them. They are sanctified. They are made more holy. You see, holiness is a communicable attribute. But the attribute of God which I want us to look at is an one of the incommunicable attributes. Now, there are many incommunicable attributes of God. Now, again, in 
the the in in incommunicable means that not communicable when we speak of a disease that is not communicable or a disease that is incommunicable we are talking about a disease that cannot be spread from one person to the other so for example cancer is not a communicable disease you cannot buy anything get cancer from another person if they cough on you you can't get the cancer that they have right it's the same thing with the incommunicable attributes of god now there is one incommunicable attributes of, attribute of god which cannot in any way uh of course all of them cannot in any way be transmitted but there is one incommunicable attribute of god that makes him distinct from everything else in creation who would venture to guess which attribute that is correct correct the aseity or incommunicable oh, sorry or independence or self-existence of god now this is an attribute that is very hard for us to comprehend and the simple reason why this attribute is difficult for us to comprehend with our minds is because we no matter how old we become can think of a time when we did not exist We all have a birthday. Uh last actually yes, last week on I believe it was Thursday. We celebrated my daughter's first year birthday. On Thursday, 8th December, she turned 1. On now in 9 months before that she was conceived in her mother's womb that is she was born on 8th december 2021 nine months before that in 8th Dece- on 8th december uh, 2020 she did not exist she did not exist at all and for each and every one of us we can look back and even if we have all that all the necessary information we can pinpoint the very second before we existed we can pinpoint the very day before we existed you see we are finite in that way the angels who have been there since the creation who neither die who who never die there was a time there was a second before they were created the same thing with satan same thing with demons it's the same thing with tortoises which the animals that live for 
many many years uh, you think of the animals which live for over a hundred years you think of human beings when they lived for over 900 years think of Adam Methuselah and the likes of them who lived for crazy crazy long periods of time yet there was a time before they existed you see everything you look around has a beginning everything which God has created and there is nothing else in that exists except God and his creation everything in creation has a beginning before Genesis 1 1 God was alone before Genesis 1 1 God did not have a first birthday now I don't know whether you've ever considered this question but when I have talked with children on this attribute of God or even when I have been talking about God because I have opportunities to teach children in one of the schools uh, near our church one of the questions that they always ask is who created God or where did God come from and it's a question which if you haven't faced yet you will one day be asked by your children or by other children if you ever happen or by even adults who created God or where did God come from and the thing that I always tell them is that God is not created but he is the creator God did not create himself because that would pose the problem of him existing and not existing at the same time which me which which is nonsense you cannot exist and not exist at the same time so you cannot create yourself uh, people talk about recreating themselves and there is a, you remodel your life or something like that but no one could in their right mind say that I created myself and the same is true with God God did not create himself God is not created God has just always existed you see that when people say that there was once a time uh, people when people struggle with the eternality of God or the fact that God has always existed uh, and he does not need to draw life from another because he has life in himself when people think of that ah they say no there there they, there must have been a time either when there was another creator or when there was nothing but think about the possibility or the reality if there was a time when there was nothing I want you to think about that now we are going to look at the scriptures but I want you to think about it if ever there was a time when there was nothing in the whole universe in every if there ever was a time when there was God was not there and the creation was not there it was just nothing 
what would be there now? Huh? Are you sure? Uh huh. Are you sure? Makena, what do you think? Why would there be nothing? No, 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 I want to hear her first, then we'll come back to you. Uh huh. Why? All right, Simon, why? Uh, something has to come from something. Mm -hmm. There needs to be something so that we could, so that can cause something to exist or to happen. Mm -hmm. For example, this house or this tent, if there are no materials to build the tent, there would not be a tent. So if we have that, yeah, we have nothing, then nothing will be there. Even a thousand years, nothing will be there. There needs to be something probably in the bathroom because something is there. Mm. So basically, if I could simplify it, what both of you are trying to say is that nothing cannot create something right so if there was nothing one before this creation was created there would be nothing now now let me throw a spanner in the works if there was something would does that mean therefore that there would be everything that we see yes or no <laughs> why not Okay, uh, so think. Let me then ask this. So, if there was a chair before everything else existed, what would what would be there now? A chair. Well, why? If why not? Uh, a phone or another chair say the chair has power <laughs> there is something I'm looking for that you need to uh, I want you to see there's something that I'm looking for. Say, what about a chair? 
that is all powerful is that enough for it to produce another chair what else is necessary come on isn't that hard? I, I think you're overthinking it. What? All right. Let me ask it. Let me give you the answer then. What? What? What is the? What is the most significant difference between you and the chair? You are alive. Okay. What else? Uh, what else? ability to do what <coughs> mind okay those are distinct characteristics of what of huh okay uh true uh-huh what else? Is it just intelligible creatures? Okay, so you're saying God doesn't have that because he's not a creature, remember? Oh, okay. Well, here is the short answer. The difference between you and a chair in the most, the most basic is that you are a person, you have personality, and it does not. And all the attributes of personality, thought, intentionality, action, those are things which are distinct, and of course intelligence, those are things which are distinct to personhood. So you see, if only a chair existed, if only a thing, if only something existed, uh, there would only be that something now. What you need is a somebody. You need somebody to be there, a person to be there. You see, it's not enough to simply say something existed. We must also say somebody existed. Uh, somebody who can be there to make a choice to create a cow with two horns and not a cow with three horns right now all this I have said I've been saying so that we might understand something unique about God God is the only necessary being. Necessary in the sense that he exists by, by the necessity of his own nature. He exists because he is God. He doesn't draw anything from anything else. You see, everything else that has a beginning draws its life or its existence from the existence of another. But God 
does not draw his existence from anything else. Now it's, again, I know it's not, it's simple and at the same time mind-blowing, this truth. But, you see, the greatest example of this reality of the independence of God or the aseity of God is that he is the creator. In Job chapter 41, Job chapter 41. Verse 11. Listen to what God says to Job. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now what is God saying there? He's saying that everything in creation belongs to him. He does not need us, but everything he gives, everything is his. And why is it his? In Genesis 1.1, we get, have the reason why. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then it goes on to tell us how he did it. Uh, in, Genesis, sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then what does it say? All things were made through him, and not one thing was made except by him. Let me read it for you. John chapter 1, verse, I believe it's 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is clearly... This is clearly language of existence before creation. And this is what we, we have in the subject of the independence of God. Now, there are four things that we will look at very quickly so that four aspects of this attribute of God. Well, we've seen that he is the creator. But then, we see that God is self-existent. Now, this aspect of God being self-existent simply means that, and we've looked at it, we've talked about it, that he, ex he does not draw his beginning from us. In fact, uh, he is the beginning and the end. He has no beginning. In Psalm chapter 90, let's turn to Psalm 90. Listen to what Moses says. This is the only Psalm of Moses. Psalm 90 verse 2, a prayer of Moses, a man of God. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, 
from everlasting to everlasting you are God before the mountains were brought forth before the earth was formed from everlasting to everlasting you are God now that language of everlasting to everlasting is simply trying to communicate that God did not have a beginning. He was always God. He was always the God that he is now. Sometimes we have this perception that when God created, he became something different than he, he already was. Some people think that when God created Adam and Eve, when God created the creation, that he changed. He became something greater. But what Moses is saying here, that before the mountains were brought forth, before the creation happened, from when he says from everlasting to everlasting you are God, he is saying that you are the God who does not need anything. In other words, the creation does not add anything to God. God was just as glorious before he created as he is now. And that's why Job can say things like uh, the book of Job can say that if you sin your sin is only against your fellow man. You can't touch God with your sin. You can't hurt God with your sin. And if you do righteous, if you sing his praises, you don't add anything to him. In other words, God's existence, what God was before he created, is what God is now and what God will always be even after this age, even after the passing of this age. God does not change because his self-existence he's self-existent think of how does God reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14 in Exodus 3.14 we read that God said to Moses I am who I am and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, of course, this statement touches on the immutability of God, which is another uh, incommunicable attribute, which is basically means God does not change. But do you understand that when he says, I am whom I am, he's still saying that, I'm still I am the same God who made the promise to Abraham and I think you can extend that further to I am the same God that I was before I created. In other words, God does not change. He is the I am. He is never I was. He is never going to be I will be. He will always be I am. He may be, I, he may say, I will do this, but he will never say, I will become this. 
then secondly and I think other verses that you can read on that his self-existence at your own time uh, if that's if you're writing Revelation 1 8 first Timothy 6 6 sorry first Timothy 6 verse 16 and Psalm 102 verse 25 to 27 the next thing is that God does not only does God not draw his existence Not only does God not draw his existence from anything, but God does not draw sustenance. He does not need sustenance from anything. He is self-sufficient. Perhaps the greatest verb, sorry, verse that addresses this in my mind is Psalm 50. So turn with me to Psalm 50. Psalm chapter 50. In Psalm 50, from verse 10 to 12, we read, listen to what God says. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Now what is God saying there to Israel? Or to anyone who would draw near to him, he is saying this, that those burnt offerings that they offered, that anything we take that we would bring as an offering to God, it doesn't feed him. It's not that God commanded sacrifice because he was hungry and so the sacrifice would feed him. No, that's not what happens. God is self-sufficient. He does not need anything in creation. He did not need anything before he created and he will never need anything after this world passes away uh, in Acts 17 verse 24 and 25 this is Paul talking to the this is Paul talking to the the, the Greeks in the Areopagus when he was in Athens. Listen to what he says to them. Acts 17. Sorry. Acts 17 verse 24 and 25. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In other words, God does not live in this church, in this church building. He, he has never lived in a temple made by man. In other words, God does not need us to build him a house. And then he says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He is not served by human hands. In other words, God does not need servants. 
you think of the greatest king on this earth you think of our president think of the most powerful people in the world what is not going to be lacking in their house which have been made by man come on we've just read it servants right and when you attain a certain prosperity on in this earth you get a house help you get a servant in your house uh, if you have even more money you get a driver to drive you around you you get servants to help you when you grow old you need your children to help you when you are young you need your parents to help you we are people who are constantly in need of others now i can personally attest to this uh, my dear wife left to go to attend the burial of the boy's child so i have been alone since uh thursday or friday yeah since friday and boy i can tell you it has been one lonely uh two it has been i i don't get this the usual help that i get i have i have had to think of what i'm going to eat and since i got by i had not been thinking of that uh you see i am a person who needs others but god is not like that i think of my baby girl and from the time that she was born she has she has daily needed us to serve her especially her mother even now when she is one year she still needs us to serve to serve her you see this is a very true reality or aspect of being a creature is that we need others but god does not need in fact he says in verse he continued to say now is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything who is it that gives us life god who is it that sustains that life god who is it that gives us the creation in which we need friends food companionship huh who is it that gives that that to us it's god but god doesn't need us in the same way that we need others god does, has no need he is self sufficient and as we've seen the next thing about this in this aseity of god is that not only is he self sufficient not only is he self existence but he gives to all life We've seen that in John chapter 1 3 and 4 which you've read and we've seen that in Acts 17 24 to 26. And finally God does not even though God does not need us and I think I need to stress this point. So often times you hear people well intentioned speaking as though God need needed us speaking as though for God to love us it must mean that he needed us 
let me give you another example. Sometimes people, when they make evangelistic appeals, when they call for people to serve God, they make it sound as though God is that poor God who loves people who do not love him back and he needs people to come and help him, to save him from the embarrassment of him loving people who don't love him back. And so people will come to serve God whether like whether intentionally or not intentionally with the perception that somehow God needs them but beloved people when they speak that way are making a fundamental mistake which I keep telling the children that I teach when I talk to them about God you see God is not a man we need to get that this truth into our minds. God is not a man. Sometimes we think of God as a superman. He is a man, but he is a man on a much greater scale than us. But that is not what God is. God is not a man. In fact, God is neither male nor female. The reason why God takes on the gender he is for a different reason. God is not neither male nor female. God does not reproduce the way we reproduce. God does not eat. Huh? God does not uh, get sick. God is not a superman. He is completely different from us. He, so he is not like us. There may be things which he has communicated to us, such as holiness, such as uh, the ability to subdue the earth, but that in no way makes us like, or rather makes God like us. He is not a human being. And so when, God, when we think of God's love, we must not think of it in the way we think of love. You see, a part of the reason why we love others is because we need them. Yes. Uh, a big part of why, for example, let me give you an example. A big part of why people will endure the wrongs done to them by their husband or wife and stay in that marriage and commit to love that person because they need them. We need other people. Human beings are social beings. We need others. Uh, why will a, a child be angry with a parent for taking something from them and still love that parent because they need you see, we need, we need one another. People complain about, oh, my car is so terrible. But they still love that car. They don't want anything to happen to that car. Why? They need it. And so when we think about the love of God, when we think of God doing something for his creation, 
we imagine that it's because he needs us. But that isn't the way God works. Again, God is not a man like us. God does good to his creation because he is good. We, we almost never do good uh, simply because we are good. We do it for all manner of reasons. Maybe you do good to someone because you want to impress them. Maybe you do good to someone because you don't want them to be angry with you. Maybe you do good to someone because you hope to get something from them. We can, maybe you do good to someone because you want them to have a certain perception of you. But God does good because of who he is. And so when God does good to you, it's not based on your own goodness. And you know somebody might be asking themselves, well, this attribute makes God cold and distant. If God is not like us, if God does not need us, then that means that his love for us cannot be real. And that means that God does God can one day turn and not love us anymore. But actually, God being self-existent, being self-sufficient, God not needing us to sustain himself is actually good for us. You know why? Because it means that whatever God whatever good that God has done for you is not based on anything which you have done. In today the prosperity gospel has now and of course there is some truth in the prosperity gospel but it is largely false but what the prosperity gospel has done is that it has created a works-based view not only of salvation but of our relationship with God. And so you will find someone saying that if those who are poor are poor because God has made them poor, because they are wrong. And those who are rich, they are rich because they are blessed by God. And so people come to attribute favor with God with riches or with good things. And so people say that, be like so and so. They, or they say, I pray this amount of times. I give this amount and that's why I am blessed. Now, whereas there is some truth in that God rewards righteousness and God punishes wickedness, it is also proper to have the right balance and say, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 
do good to your enemies and be like your father in heaven who gives rain to the wicked and sunshine he gives rain to the wicked and the righteous and sunshine to the wicked and the righteous in other words uh, when there was a when there is a drought in a country there is drought for everyone it isn't that at as you're driving you see it's it's raining in someone's shamba oh that person must be a righteous person and then you go to another one and see hey, it's raining here but the next door neighbor kwake akunyeshi you see, if the prosperity gospel was true, that is what we would be seeing. But you see, why does God give good things to everyone? Not because of the creature, but because of his own nature. You see, we can be grateful. We can be certain of God's goodness because he is good and does not need anything he is he does not need anything and so therefore when he does good he is doing that which is according to his nature and so when if god says that he will save us by his son then we can be sure that that is what he will do and that no one outside of him can change that Satan may try all his best but he will never succeed because he cannot take away from God because God is self-sufficient if God says that his people will endure to the end no matter what happens they will endure to the end because that promise is grounded on his nature and he is self-sufficient, doesn't need anything. It's not like one day God will wake up and say, oh, I need to recharge my batteries so that I can continue to keep my promises. So you see, this, this attribute of God does have great benefit for us. The fact that God does not need us but has called us to have fellowship with him all the more exemplifies his love for us. As, and this is the last thing I will say, as Romans 5 says, in Romans 5 Paul says, it's wonderful, wonderful truth. He says in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by, that, by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see that? Our reconciliation came whilst we were still enemies of God. Not when we were giving something to God, but whilst we were enemies. The God who does not need us 
has reconciled those who are his enemies to himself. And he will continue to do that until the last day. Is there any question before we finish? Yes? Any question or any additional insight that someone would like to add? And by the way, this attribute of God's self, of the independence or the aseity of God as it is called, therefore becomes the ground for many other of God's attributes. For example, why is God sovereign? Doesn't need anything. Doesn't answer to anybody. Right? Is not accountable to anyone because he does not need anything from anyone. Why is God the creator? Because he's the only one who is self-existent. He's the only one who is self-sufficient. Whereas the creation needs his continuing sustenance, God does not need that. He is the creator. God could have been fine if he did not create. Uh, what about his immutability? That is, that God does not change. God does not need anything, and so therefore, why would he change? You see, change is something that only happens to creatures. If God is self-sufficient... He is also omnipotent. He does not need power. There is no power outside of himself that can withstand him. If God is independent of everything, he is also omniscient. Because if God does not need anything, it must mean that he knows everything. Uh, so you see, this attribute is a very important one. And we need to meditate upon it constantly. Yeah, so <coughs> if, there, if there is no question or comment, then uh, we, we can pray. Anyone? Like to? Um, yes, William. Maybe on the issue of the love of God, there is a sense in which
refrain from telling people to Yeah, so I I get what you're saying. And this is how I would uh f- try to find a balance between those two. The unconditional nature of God's love and also the conditional nature of God's love. Now. Now I would say that God's love is unconditional in the sense that it has never been based on anything that the creature does god's love in the sense of his nature the loving nature of god is unconditional you remember if so if you understand that god is self-sufficient then that means that his love is not like our love which is dependent on others you love people more in the times when they do good to you and make you happy right you love them less when you're not happy with them when they do things which are not pleasing to you but that's and that's as but that, but that's not how God's love is. Now, I know in the future you will look at uh, what we call the impassibility of God. In other words, God is without passions. God is without human emotions. God does not have emotions like us. All the times when in the scripture God is spoken of as having emotions is what we would call anthropopathic language anthropos meaning man is latin for man no greek for man and pathos means feeling just like anthropomorphic language is uh, forms like man like now and it says that god has a, a strong arm god doesn't have an arm like us it's it's trying to make a point so when we have anthropopathic language uh, we must not think of that as how God's nature is. God's nature, the love that is in God's nature, that is according to God's nature, is unconditional. And so that's why God could give good to the wicked and not destroy them as their sins deserve. But there is also a sense in which God's love is conditional. But it is conditional only in this way. As far as we experience God's dealings with us. So the love that is according to God's nature in God himself, 
his love is unconditional but as far as our experience is concerned it look it appears as though it is conditional but really it is that when we sin uh, for example the believer the love of god is con- unconditional to them in the sense that god will never take away their their eternal life god will never take aw- the love of christ the love of god in through christ to them will never be taken away from them it's unconditional it's not based on anything that they do but as far as their relationship to him so relationally in our experience in our christian experience god's love can appear to fluctuate in other words god deals with his children based on how they are uh, sometimes he will chastise them but that is not uh, not that god does not love them when you discipline your child in that moment you can that child can imagine hey, this parent does not love me the way they've beaten me today now of course as human beings there are times when we punish our children out of anger and sinful anger maybe you're revenging on your child you're so angry with your child that they've done that that you're revenging uh, of course and if a parent does that they need to repent but nevertheless uh, there is also an aspect in which a parent who has gotten the emotions under control when they discipline their child even as the child feels pain they do not perceive it but that is being done out of love so you see it's not that god's love is conditional it's that our experience of god's favor is conditional when god chastises his children he still loves them his love for them is still unconditional in fact his chastising of them is based on that love so their experience of god's favor which is what people attribute to god's love is is what conditional so you see god's love is not unconditional i started with that because i wanted to to show you that it is wrong to say that god's love is conditional it's our experience of his favor that is yeah think we can stop there so that we have enough time for the to wait uh, until we begin the morning service yeah so let's pray we thank you oh god of all creation god over all creation you who created everything you who sustains everything we thank you that before ever the mountains were formed or anything in creation was formed that from everlasting to everlasting you are god we thank you that you do not go hungry or you do not need anything from us that you are self sufficient and because this is true none of your promises will fail 
because you cannot break down out of need for anything. And so, Lord, we thank you then that in light of this, that we can be able to see your goodness in a different light because the goodness which you have shown to us is based not on anything that we do but only according to the goodness that is in your nature. So Lord, we thank you and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to continue loving you and worshipping you because of your self-sufficiency. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk in holiness and righteousness so that we might experience your divine favor. And help us, O oh Lord, when you discipline us to remember that your discipline of us is, as, is like that of a father, a human father and his children. But it is even greater than that, a love which is greater than that of father and child. A love which is transcendent. A love which is from all eternity. We pray, Lord, then, that as we leave this place, that our minds would be filled with this reality and that we would not forget your goodness to us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.